0: The reading this morning is from Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Ephesians, in the New Testament, chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. And all being well, there we go, the words are up as well if you want to follow. It's the armour of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Linda. Good morning, everybody. Let's pray that God will come and speak to us. Lord God, our Father, on this Remembrance Sunday, as we thank you for all those who gave their lives for our freedom, we praise you for the freedom we have to worship you. As we worship you, we praise you even more. For the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus on the cross. Praise you that he is risen from the dead and ascended and glorified and one day will come again and all will be restored. We pray as we think about the wider spiritual battle this morning that you would send your spirit, take what I've prepared and speak through it, breathe fresh life into the scriptures this morning and speak to us we pray and we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. I guess in common with everybody else, I've been thinking quite a lot about the last hundred years since that first armistice at the end of the Great War in 1918. Uh, Loads of people will remember different people in their families, folks who fought in those wars. Uh, There'll be uh, tragedies that are remembered. There'll be amazing acts of rescue that are remembered. I've been thinking about my own two grandpas, one of them I didn't know, Uh, My mum's dad was an army vet and died shortly after the Second World War uh, uh, abroad working with the army. I never knew him. My dad's dad, I did know he was a colonel in the army. He got an MC. Uh, But it's a miracle that I'm here and that our family are here at all. Uh, As a young man in the First World War, he was walking across a bridge he thought was safe. He saw a German helmet lying on the ground. He picked it up, looked at it for some reason held it across his chest, and as he did, a bullet hit it, and he hit the ground pretty quickly. But I've been reflecting this week on the fact that if he hadn't been preserved, I wouldn't be here, my family wouldn't be here. Uh, All of us have different memories, and it's interesting in the way we're reflecting on the uh, Remembrance Sunday, Remembrance Day as a nation. When I was growing up, the focus was much more on the nations. The focus is much more on the individuals, the soldiers who served. I'm looking forward to seeing that film on BBC Two tonight of the old digital grainy black and white jerky videos that have been digitally remastered by Peter Jackson of Lord of the Rings fame. I gather that the first 20 minutes is all black and white and then it goes into smooth colour and all the... They've had lip-readers in to read the actual words of what was said. And there's something people have seen it say this is profound, bringing to life something that seems to be ancient history to so many of us. Now, I'm not going to be preaching about warfare uh, or peace. I want to talk about this passage from Ephesians 6, which talks about the wider spiritual battle, the forces of evil that are around this battle that we're all caught up in all the time. Of course, it's from the forces of evil that hatred and war and greed all come. But we don't need to be involved in an enormous great war to know what those forces of evil, the fight of good against bad, feels like. And we remember supremely that Jesus gave his life for our eternal freedom. And so it's right that we worship him, and we set all our remembrance in that context. Uh, we've been looking through St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, we looked at chapters 1 to 3 in the summer. We've been looking at chapters 4 to 6 this term. Uh, and I was very pleased when I saw that it would drop out that we got to the end of Ephesians 6 on Remembrance Sunday, that we can, we're all thinking together uh, with the whole nation about remembrance. But this puts the wider context on it of this spiritual battle that is going on. I've got three points from, well actually, as always, I've got hundreds of points, but three, three main headings. Uh, the first is that we are in a spiritual battle. Whether we like it or we not, we need to be aware of that. I'm reminded of that old poster uh, on the Second World War post, don't you know there's a war on, it would be said. People, people would say, we need to remind ourselves that there is a spiritual battle going on. We need to be aware of our enemy's tactics so we don't fall for them. And we need to stand strong in the Lord and wear our armor. So this is the passage from Ephesians 6. So first of all, the fact that we are engaged in a spiritual battle that rages all around us. Uh, In the Second World War, historians uh, seem to be fairly united that a key moment in the Second World War was the D-Day landings or on that day itself, were very fragile landings once the beachheads were established. After that, with hindsight, we can see that was decisive. Uh, It took another year or so before victory in Europe was declared and longer for Japan. But looking back, the decisive moment had happened, although there was an awful lot of warfare and battles and casualties still to come before the final VE day. Now, in a similar sort of way, in the great spiritual context we're in, the decisive event has happened. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, sin was paid for. Evil was defeated. Jesus took the full force of evil and he rose again. He has ascended. Uh, And one day he will return. But we live in between the cross and when he returns. And it's a bit like living in between D-Day and V-E-Day. There's still an awful lot of warfare going on. There will be casualties still until the great day comes when Jesus returns and heaven and earth are fully restored and sin is no more and there's no more suffering or crying or death or pain and there is a glorious freedom for all eternity. St. Paul in the letter to the Ephesians is very clear that we live in that context of a spiritual battle and what's going on in the heavenly realms. Uh, So just as uh, there is a an unseen reality going on uh, here. We can, there's things we, the physical world, we can see, hear, smell, touch, feel. Also, just in this building, there's a whole load of radio waves and television waves and internet things, and if we got our mobile phones out, we could see there's a signal and we could connect with that. We can't see it, but it's going on. In the same sort of way, there is a spiritual reality that courses all around us. The Lord Jesus is here, present, by his Holy Spirit. We can't see him, but we know he's here. And in the world around, we are surrounded by the unseen spiritual realities in the heavenly realms. And throughout the letter to the Ephesians, Paul references these heavenly realms. So at the beginning, chapter one, verse three, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Chapter one, verses 19 and 20. He talks about God's incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him, at his right hand, in the heavenly realms. Chapter 2 and verse 6 says that God has raised us up with Christ, those who are Christians who've bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord. We've not only been forgiven and adopted into his family, we have been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms. Chapter 3 and verse 10, God's intent is that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And in today's passage, chapter 6 and verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, we don't fight against other people, but against the rulers, authorities and powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is very clear that there is this spiritual reality going on. In the, spiritual, the heavenly realms, of course, God is there, infinite. But there is also the devil and the forces of evil who are finite, who are lesser, but who are still very significant and we need to be aware of them. There's an old commentary on the letter to the Ephesians by a Chinese pastor called Watchman Nee, written in the middle of the last century. And the title of this commentary is Sit, Walk stand and it sums up what we've got so far the first three chapters of the letter to the Ephesians are all about how we are seated in the heavenly realms in Christ we are forgiven we're adopted into God's family we are utterly secure in Christ nothing can separate us from his love that is our position in Christ and when Jesus returns we'll see just how wonderful that is that's the sit we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms The walk bit is we have to walk out this reality in our day-to-day relationships. So we've looked at husbands and wives and parents and children and the whole workplace, bosses and servants and slaves and the church, how we submit to each other. We walk this out in our day-to-day relationships. And at the end of the letter, we have this charge from St. Paul to stand. We stand against the forces of darkness in the heavenly realms and we're to take our stand we're to be aware of them if we're not aware of them we will be taken out Uh, whether you like it or not once you are a follower of Jesus Christ you are caught up in this great cosmic battle this isn't just an extra for super Christians we're all in it Uh, we become part of God's family Jesus is our Lord nothing can hurt us and yet we have a new enemy in the evil one Is God's plan to make a new society? Yes, it is. But then the devil will do all he can to destroy it. Has God, through Jesus Christ, broken down the walls of hostility that separate us from each other, the Jew and the Gentile especially? Yes, God has. Then the devil will do all he can to get those walls rebuilt and separate people off from each other. Does God intend his forgiven people to live in harmony and peace with each other? Yes, he does. But the powers of hell try to scatter seeds of discord. And when we take our eyes off the spiritual battle, then we start fighting against each other. And we're not meant to do that. There is a spiritual reality. So we need to pray for our eyes to be opened or to be reminded of what we know to be true. That's my prayer for our church today. That God would open our eyes to what is going on that we cannot see physically. Do you know the wonderful story from 2 Kings chapter 6 of Elisha's servant? Uh, Fantastic story, good bedtime reading later if you don't know the story, I'll give you the highlights of it. It's about 3,000 years ago, the people of Israel are often attacked from Syria. And Elisha, the prophet in Israel, God reveals to him what the plans are of the Syrian army. So he's able to tip off the king in Israel and they can put their much smaller forces there to be ready. And the king of Syria gets utterly fed up with this and he gathers his generals around and he says, which one is the traitor? Whatever we plan, one of you is telling the Israelites about it, so nothing works. And they said, no, but apparently there's this prophet in Israel and God tells him the very things we say in secret. So the king of Syria says to his army, right, we'll go and capture this prophet, that's enough of that. And they send the army to Dothan, where Elisha is. And one morning, Elisha's servant wakes up presumably to make Elisha his cup of tea and get the house ready. And he opens the curtains, and there all surrounding them is the army of the Syrians. And he's terrified, and he rushes into Elisha, presumably without the cup of tea, and he says, my Lord, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, those who are for us are more than those who are against us. And he prays, Lord, will you open his eyes? And the servant's eyes are open to see the forces of heaven all around, chariots of fire. Far greater. And you can read the rest of the story, how it works out. Elisha's very generous and gracious as the Syrian army gets sent away with its tail between its legs. It's a cracking story. The point is, we need to pray that God would open our eyes to see what's going on. There is so much spiritual reality behind the things we often see with our eyes. We're in a spiritual battle, and we need to be aware of that. That's the first point. The second point is that we need to be aware of the enemy's tactics. They haven't changed very much down the years because they don't need to because we keep falling for the same old things. My second point is know your enemy. Uh, If we put up chapter 6, verse 12 again, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Uh, I gather that in the Second World War, Field Marshal Montgomery, Monty, in his caravan in the desert, had a picture of Rommel, the German commander there, to remind him uh, to think through what's he likely to be doing. To think about his tactics to be able to fight against them. And we need to be aware uh, of what the forces of evil try to do to stop us following the Lord Jesus, to stop us being effective. And the scriptures are full of these things. They tell us enough about the forces of evil so we can be well prepared. We read that the forces of evil are real and powerful. One danger Christians make is to underestimate the devil and the forces of evil and to act as if they're not there. But the devil's described in scriptures like a lion, as like a dragon, as wicked, as cunning, like a wolf in sheep's clothing. And some Christians just do not take him seriously. And he's free to cause havoc among them because they're not aware of what's going on. On the other hand, there are some Christians who, being aware that the evil one is real, go to the other end and overestimate him as if he's as powerful as God, which he's not. The devil is an angel, a fallen angel. That means he's finite and created. Whereas God is infinite. And the difference between God and the devil is vast. So when you become aware that the forces of evil are powerful, and they are, then God is far more powerful. Uh, the illustration that brought this home to me uh, was just after I was a student. Uh, I heard a talk on spiritual warfare, uh, and the, the preacher said that the thing is God cannot wrestle with the devil. Some Christians think that God's wrestling with the devil. He said, God can't. And I thought, well, surely he could. He said, have you ever tried to wrestle with a ladybird? Uh, You couldn't. If you wrestled with the ladybird, you'd squash it. You can let the ladybird crawl over you. You can blow it away. You can flick it off. But the difference between us and a ladybird is finite. A ladybird is finite. We are finite. There's a finite difference. The devil is very powerful, but he's finite. And God is infinite. That means that the difference is far, far greater. So we don't need to be worried. We do need to be aware... But we don't need to be anxious. God is far greater, as Elisha knew, the forces with us are far greater than those who are against us. We have God's Holy Spirit in us, the very force that raised Jesus from the dead. So while there is a spiritual battle, we don't need to be frightened. That balance is beautifully captured by John Bunyan in The Pilgrim's Progress, famous story of Christian, his hero, walking the path to the celestial city. And there's one point where he sees ahead of him on the path there's a, a lion roaring on either side of the path and he wonders how on earth he'll get past. And when he gets close he sees that the lion is chained. It can't reach the path. It can roar, it can be scary, but it cannot get him as he walks the path that Jesus has for him. And that's a balance of the fact that the forces of evil are real and they are powerful. Gosh, when we look at what's happened in the world wars and the amount of evil in that, we see just how powerful they are. But God's power is far, far greater. So we need to be aware of the tactics, but we don't need to be unduly frightened. We need to get this balance right. Uh, Typically, the devil tries to get us to disobey God, just as he did to Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, back in Genesis 3, he comes and whispers in their ear that God's a spoil sport and God's really lying and they don't, God doesn't really mean it or believe his word. And Adam and Eve fall for that and then everything goes wrong. The devil still whispers that in our ears. You will have all had in your ear that little voice whispering, oh well, shouldn't take it too seriously. I'm sure the scriptures don't really mean that. I'm sure God God doesn't mean that or God's a spoil sport or if you follow him, it'll wreck your life and if you follow him seriously, it'll really wreck your life. That is a lie, but so many believe it. Or look at how the evil one opposes the early church in the book of Acts. Initially, there's a terrible persecution on the church and for many of our brothers and sisters around the world, that's what they face. But the church stood true to the Lord. They prayed all the more. They realised that Jesus had been crucified, of course his followers would be persecuted and they stayed true. So when that tactic didn't work, the devil tried to bring immorality and lack of holiness in. And that nearly got a foothold in the early church, but they, they stamped that out too. And then the devil tried another tactic, he just tried to swamp them with busyness. And uh, the apostles were so busy fighting fires that they weren't really doing their ministry. But they dealt with that. I find that there's a combination of all of that going on today. In this country, we don't face the persecution that our brothers and sisters do, though that may come. But we do face the temptation to compromise and immorality. We do face the over-busyness. And if you're doing more than God's calling you to do, there comes a point where you're just worn out and no use anymore. So we need to be aware of the devil's tactics. He wants to try and take us out. If you are a Christian, he wants you to give up. If things are going well, he'll tempt you to think that you don't need God and you can do it all in your own strength. If things are going badly, he'll tempt you that God doesn't care for you. Obviously, God doesn't care about you because things are going badly, and he'll tempt you to give up. If he can't stop you from following Jesus, he'll try and push you beyond the call of God to do more than God's calling you to do. So you get tired and exhausted and give up. If you're not yet a Christian, he'll try and keep it that way. He'll try and persuade you that God is irrelevant or unimportant. Or at the very least, that this isn't quite the right time to take it seriously. Uh, Do you know the... I don't know if you know C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. Very famous in generation gone by. Really important reading for Christians. It's an imaginary book of letters from a senior devil to a junior devil, uh, giving advice as to how to stop people taking Jesus seriously. And while the language is written from 50 years ago or 60 years ago, there's so much truth in that, and it will open our eyes to what we might fall for. In a similar vein, uh, I sometimes tell a silly story. Imagine there are three junior devils setting their final exams before they're uh, unleashed... uh, on to to stop humanity believing in God and they have to have an oral exam and one junior devil is asked in his oral exam what will you do to stop people believing in God and he says I'll tell them there is no God and he gets an e-grade a low grade he said the senior devil says you'll get some that way there will be some atheists but the vast majority of people when they look at creation will think this has got to come from somewhere when they're up against it, the vast majority cry out in prayer. And they sort of know there is a God. So you won't get many that way. Another junior devil comes in. Uh, how will you stop people turning to God? How will you stop them taking Jesus seriously? I will tell them that there's no hell and sin doesn't matter. He gets a C-grade. Much better. You get far more this way. It doesn't really matter how you live. Don't need to take sin too seriously. It'll all be fine for everybody in the end. That's a lie. But loads will fall for that, particularly in the Western church in our age. A third junior devil comes in. How will you stop them taking God seriously? I'll tell them there's no hurry. Yes, this is all very important, but you can just put it off. Things are a bit busy at the moment. Just wait till you've finished your exams or wait till you've got married or wait till the children have grown up. or Why don't you just wait till you've retired? It's very important. and You must give this time, but not yet. Just put it off. There are some here, I'm sure, God is calling to serve him in particular ways and you've heard that. Ah yes, but not yet. We need to be aware of his tactics. Jesus is our Lord. He calls the shots. And the best we can be and the most effective we will be is in tune with where Jesus is leading. So we're in a battle. We need to be aware of our enemy. And thirdly, we need to be strong in the Lord. That means we need to wear the armour that God gives us. So verses 10 and 11 of Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. It's this typical balance in scripture. We are to be strong, but it's in the Lord. We're not strong in our own strength, and it's not just sit back and let God do it all. You be strong, you wear his armor in the Lord. You get it like in Nehemiah, rebuilding the walls. I prayed to God and I set a watch. Actually, you get it. Cromwell, in our British history, said to his troops, pray to God and keep your powder dry. We do our bit, but we pray the whole way through it. Uh, We are to be strong in God's strength and wear all the armour. If we put up verse 11 again, have we got verse 11 there? There we are. Put on the full armour of God. And verse 13 have we got... Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Uh, You don't put on most of the armor and leave a big, gaping, open area for the enemy to get at. Uh, In our colloquial language, we talk about an Achilles' heel. We leave a, a soft spot. I don't know if you know the old Greek myth of where Achilles' heel came from. Achilles, in the Greek myth, was born to a goddess' mother who took him by the ankle and dipped him in the river Styx. The river Styx was meant to have these magical properties to protect you so no weapon could get to you. But of course she was holding him by the ankle and she dipped him in so the ankle didn't have this magical property and in the end he was done in with a spear in his heel. That's where the Achilles heel story comes from. Okay, It's a myth, it's a fairy story, but the point it makes is important. We put on our full armour, we don't leave unguarded areas for the evil one. Now here is St. Paul in prison in Rome, writing to the church in Ephesus and guarding him day in, day out are Roman Roman soldiers. There they are in their uniform and he has a visual aid for our armour and he goes through a Roman soldier's armour and what they wear and uses that as a visual aid for our spiritual armour. So each of these really merits a sermon on their own, but we'll just spend a minute or so on each one. First of all, the belt of truth. Chapter 6, verse 14. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist. Now, this is the opposite of what we probably do after Sunday lunch. We eat a bit much, we loosen our belt off and sit back, and we're no use for any fight at all. This is the Roman soldiers would have this belt tightly round their waist, a bit like a a weightlifter puts on that belt to give some strength to their core so they can stand and fight. What does that for us is truth. Both the Greek sense of truth, of those things that are objectively true, but also the Hebrew sense of truth, of those things which are trustworthy, that we can rely on. Supremely Jesus, uh, St. Paul's Church, of any church, will know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, as it says in the bricks over my head, John 14, 6. Jesus is the truth. And united to him, We have, as it were, that we gird up our loins with the belt of truth. We need to know it. So read your scriptures. Read Christian books. Listen to good talks. Get to know the truth. But not just academically. We need to know Jesus. We need to be in relationship with him and live the truth. Uh, The breastplate of righteousness in place, again, verse 14. Uh, Righteousness is right with Godness. So when we're in right relationship with God, the evil one can't get us. Now we know Jesus died for our sins on the cross, we're forgiven. We need to be in right relationship with God, having received assurance of forgiveness, not letting things stack up that get in the way between us and God. We also need to be in right relationship with other people uh, as much as we can to make sure there's no unforgiveness between us and anybody else. If we do have those things, it allows some, a bit of an Achilles heel for the evil one to get at. We need our feet shod with the gospel boots. So the Roman soldier had these heavy sandals, not sort of flip-flops or the things we wear on holiday, and not floppy wellies either. They were studded, thick boots well strapped on so they could march for miles and they could get a firm footing. And St. Paul says we get a firm footing with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Are you ready to tell other people the good news about Jesus? Can you do that if someone asks you? If you don't know it clearly enough to tell others, your feet probably aren't shod with really firm boots. That's why we're taking some time in the church over this year to train each other up In how to share good news, we've thought about offering prayer. In 10 days' time, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night, we'll think about telling our story. Next, into January, February, we'll think about how we tell God's story. But the more we are able to tell others the good news of Jesus in an appropriate way, the better footing we get. Certainly, the more involved I am in helping others come to Christian faith, I find my faith grows and is firm and more stable. Uh, that it's that gospel good news that gives, our, uh, gives us our boots, our feet. Uh, so we need to know it and be ready to share it. We need to take up the shield of faith. This is verse 60. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, a Roman shield was a sort of rectangular oblong one. It was the Greeks and the Spartans who had the round ones. The Romans have these oblong ones. They're a bit the same sort of shape as police riot shields, designed to be locked together. Have you seen the Roman tortoise, where they could get out of the soldiers lock their shields together, and uh, and some above as well, and nothing could get them as they advanced. We are designed to trust God, not just on our own, but with others, to lock our shields together. That's why our prayer triplets, our formations, our small groups, our teams as we come together to pray together, are so important. We express our trust in God, far greater than any of the forces of the evil one. And that very faith extinguishes the evil one's arrows. When we doubt God, it provides an Achilles heel for the evil one to get in. We need to come and, ex- and trust him. Even the sort of trust that is, Lord, I do trust you, help me trust you more. I trust you a little, Help. that's fine. We need to do that and with others together. And when folks are really struggling, we come and put our shields of faith around them till they can get up again and get going. We do this together. We put on the helmet of salvation, verse 17. Uh, take the helmet of salvation. This guards our head, our mind, our thinking. Now, salvation is a multifaceted thing. One level, we have been saved from the penalty of sin, we're forgiven. At another level, we are being saved. God is setting us free from the power of sin. We're still aware of that struggle. We're not finally there yet. When Jesus returns, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. We need to get our thinking straight on this, to know that we're forgiven, to know that, yes, there is a struggle, uh, and slowly God is setting us free from the grip of sin in our lives, and one day we will be fully saved, and we keep our eyes looking forward to that. Verse 17, we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have this enormous privilege of having God's Word in English in our hands. Even on our phones, you carry it in your pocket (laughs) easily. In those days, it was in whacking great scrolls and not very easy to carry around. Now we have it so accessible, we must spend time every day reading some of God's Word, understanding it, letting it come deeply into. Truthfully into us, learning to trust God's word. The devil will tempt us to doubt it. When churches sit light to God's word, then all sorts of things creep in. The world's values creep in instead of the scriptures and God's truth. You need to know it. Uh, some people use daily Bible reading notes. Others use the U version of the scriptures uh, that's free on and as an app to give a daily reading it doesn't matter which bit you read but we need to be reading it for God to speak to us through it when Jesus was being tempted in the desert he answered the temptations by saying it is written and it's the word of God that gets rid of so much temptation and just so we're in conversation with people if God reminds you of a Bible story or something Jesus said say it in the conversation or some debate, do you know, that reminds me of something Jesus said. Do you know this? There's a tremendous power in the scriptures of using it. Finally, we are to pray. Prayer is the most powerful weapon. Verses 18 to 20. Let's put these up. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Not just sometimes or occasionally or maybe one or two days a week, all the time. Dedicated times of prayer on our own and with others. Conversation with the Lord through the day. And if we go on to the next verses, 19 and 20. Pray also for me, says Paul, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. We pray for each other. But can I ask you, I haven't asked this enough, to pray for me, uh, for Juliet and I. Uh, it's an obvious tactic of the evil one in any, in any organisation to try and take the leader out. Uh, St Paul's is becoming a significant church, a force for the kingdom of God in this area. Uh, we are very aware sometimes of the attacks of the evil one on us. So please pray for us. There's a wonderful group of people who pray for us daily. I'm grateful to you. Some of you are here. Uh, I probably wouldn't still be here and still in the game if if it wasn't for your prayers. Pray for all our leaders, those who lead our children and our youth and our students, our small group leaders, our different ministries, our teams. Pray for those who exercise national leadership, our bishops, Christopher and Justin, our archbishop. We need to pray for these because it's an obvious tactic of the evil one to go for the leader. If you take the leader out, often an organisation or church will struggle. Uh, Paul says, pray for me. And particularly pray that I don't get bogged down in the stuff I shouldn't be doing. We've got a really good team building again. A lot of change has happened. Uh, and I'm really sensing a fresh call from God to be more involved in declaring the gospel and not getting bogged down in the bits of running the church that I shouldn't be getting involved in. Pray for me to do what I ought to be doing and not to fool for the evil one's tactic of doing a whole load of other things, which are all very good, but they're not what I should be doing. We need to pray that for each other. And we probably ought to pray it now. I think I've said enough. So would you stand? And if the band would come back,